St. John. This is Pastor Adam, and you are listening to the Post-Sermon Podcast. I am filling in for Deaconess Daily today as host, which means I'm sitting down with Vicar Allen. Vicar, how are you doing this morning? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Vicar, we uh, talked about your Christmas Day sermon, uh, Deaconess and I, and so we reviewed through that, but we're going to talk about uh, your other sermon, which was on, you could say Christmas one, but it was on a, a special day in the church calendar, and what day was that? It was a circumcision of our Lord and the name. Yeah, we talk about the circumcision of Jesus and when he receives his name. And some fun facts about that. It is the shortest uh, gospel reading, I think, in all of our lectionaries. Just one verse, right? So I loved even on Sunday. All right, let's stand up for the gospel reading. We sang the hallelujahs, you know, glory be to thee, O Lord, the verse. And then we sang out, right? Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, Vicar, you uh, had to deal with uh, this day, and you went with the Galatians reading, and why is that? The Galatians reading was really fascinating. It it gave us more insight to, you know, just having one verse in, in the Bible about uh, our Lord being circumcised, his name given. So Paul is just giving us a little bit more insight of the significance of that. And um, he's giving a more general statement about the law and why was it so important for Jesus to fulfill the law? Yeah, because especially in chapter 3, Paul is really waning to the topic of law and gospel and uh, what led to the other. And uh, he calls the law, was it a, a custodian or a guardian? Yeah, and a, as a guardian, yeah. And uh, we're waiting for the gospel, which frees us from the, the condemnation of the law, the curse of the law. Uh, how did you get into this dynamic of law and gospel in your sermon? Well, I knew Jesus is is doing the law, um, and his parents are bringing him into the temple, and he's he's doing the law of circumcision, and, and so I wanted to just speak a little bit more about that. I wanted to speak why the law was important, why was Jesus fulfilling the law important, and what does it mean for us? Of since he fulfilled the law, um, where do we stand? And, and we we stand in the grace um, that came through Jesus fulfilling and following. Uh, the law. And in your sermon, you illustrated uh, some of these realities of, of the law, how Jesus is, uh, Galatians 4, uh, which is not a reading, but, you know, he was born under the law. And part of that is he was born into uh, the Israelite uh, family. Uh, he's a descendant of Abraham. And part of being brought into that family of God is to go through circumcision. And so even here, we see Jesus is keeping the law and he will keep it perfectly all the way to the cross for us. Uh, he will be the, the lamb without blemish when he is finally sacrificed for us. Um, and to illustrate this uh, reality of the law and its impact upon us, you use the images of police officers and judges and just our laws today. Uh, tell me more about that. Yeah, so Jesus is fulfilling uh, the law, like as, as you mentioned, um, the law that was given to Abraham as being a descendant of Abraham, you fulfill that law. But uh, I wanted to make it more relatable to us. You know, what are some of the ways we're following the law today in our present time uh, with the government we have? And um, part of that was uh, it's a sign uh, that uh, circumcision is done. So what are some of the signs we follow? And uh, what came to mind was, just, you know, some of the ways that we drive and we see signs. And, uh, you know, people have this perception that if you're following the signs, you know, you're a pretty good driver. Uh, you know, you're a law-abiding citizen. You're following the law. 
And, um, but what about those drivers that don't, right? And I, and I wanted to bring up that tension and just talk about, uh, you know, how in many ways we relate to that. You know, we don't always see good drivers on the road and uh, we always talk about it. And in some cases, we are those uh, uh, law-breaking drivers, you know, we're zooming through traffic. Um, and so I just wanted to make that more relatable of, you know, some of the ways that we see other people not following the law. We don't keep the law. Um, but I wanted to tie that up with the one who did follow the law. And that's what was different about him was he was sinless. And while uh, people who are following the law, they are sinful, they do need a way to uh, be forgiven of those sins, be forgiven of uh, breaking the law. Uh, Jesus didn't, yet he still followed it. And uh, I just wanted to tie that up with the analogy of... um, uh, the judges, you know, uh, a judge who announces judgment upon us. Um, there was a judgment that was announced on Jesus, too. Uh, and that was for us. Yeah, and I appreciated your analogy. You know, the police officer, the judge, our, our civil laws. And you did move to ramp up uh, the, the tension and the weight of the law upon us from our God. And the consequence there is not just merely a, a speeding ticket. It is... Uh, the condemnation and wrath of God that's poured out upon us because of our sin, and Christ is the one who redirects that to himself. And for us to take seriously, you know, what is happening here and why a day like the circumcision in the name of Jesus matters to us, he is the one who is bearing the penalty of our sins. And here we see the beginning of that process. And, uh, yeah, so I appreciate that analogy. It kind of gave us a, a piece of grounding so that we can lean into this topic for the day. Now, in your sermon, you talked a little bit about inward and outward signs. You talked about road signs a little bit ago, but uh, circumcision is often referred to as an outward sign. And what I appreciate, Vicar, is we've had a bit of a a famine of questions for the podcast, and then a day like circumcision in the name of Jesus. Uh, Now we get some questions out of the woodwork. And so we got one uh, dealing with circumcision and asking, isn't it more of an inward sign than an outward sign of? So, Vicar, take it away. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really thankful for this question. Um, Sorry, let me, let me clarify. Is circumcision a sign that no one sees? So that this, just to make sure we got the question explicit. So there you go. It, it, is, it is a sign that, uh, that no one sees, and yet it's still an outward sign. It's, down, it's done physically um, to the body. And the significance of that is to show those are the first steps of faith. The first steps that... Uh, a child does in showing uh, their faithfulness uh, to the covenant, to to God and his law. And so it's you can consider it as like an entrance right into the faith, faith that you show this outward appearance. And even though nobody sees it, and yet the community of believers know that this sign has been done. Um, and how do they know that? The parents, uh, the accountability that goes into the parents presenting the child uh, to be circumcised to show this outward uh, sign of faithfulness uh, to God. Uh, yeah, and so this is, deals with the, this dynamic of law and gospel of uh, does faith precede our works or do our works lead to faith? And Paul's dealing with this explicitly in Galatians, and it's uh, faith comes before our works. This is the point he makes earlier in the chapter about Abraham. He already had faith before he was circumcised. Right. And this is um, part of in keeping with being God's people um, at that time and in, in those ways. 
Um, and so that's, that's part of the, the, the question there is, is dealing with um, uh, the relation of faith and our works. And Paul's dealing with that very, very significantly in Galatians. And in a lot of the New Testament, this was a huge question, like, what do you do with circumcision? Because it was so uh, core and identifiable amongst the people. You know, did you belong to this God or not? And circumcision was a very obvious sign of that. One other thing that came up in your sermon is you, you dropped the name Yeshua instead of just saying Jesus. And that led to another question, and it's going to, I think, lead to a bit of a tangent here. And uh, the question is, Yahweh is often used in church, but seldom Yeshua. Why? Uh, and so uh, we were talking about this uh, prior to the recording, uh, just to get ready for this question. And I appreciate the first part of that question there, how Yahweh is used often in church, because a lot of churches don't even say the name Yahweh. Um, right. Uh, I'll often do that when I preach or when I, you know, bring this up in Bible study. Uh, but even when I do the readings, I still just say the Lord, you know, even if it's all caps. Um, maybe I could switch it sometime, but uh, a lot of churches don't even uh, use the name Yahweh. And there is a difference between them. Um, and so first, uh, Yeshua, uh, what, wh- where does that name come from? It comes from, uh, in the Old Testament, from Joshua. Uh, yeah. And we see him, uh, you know, assisting with uh, Moses. And he is then uh, given the charge uh, by God, by Yahweh, uh, to lead uh, the Israelites across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. Yeah, so we were just looking up um, before the podcast. And so Yeshua, or uh, for Joshua, it's Yehoshua. If you want to change up your vowels a little bit. Uh, it's just a synonym. Yeah, Joshua is the Hebrew. Jesus is the English, and in Greek we have Jesus. Jesus, yeah, yeah, Jesus. And uh, no matter which one you use, we're all talking about the same name. It's just how it gets translated. Uh, Yahweh's a bit different. We'll get there in a, in a minute. Um, but what's significant about the name Joshua or Yahoshua? What does that name mean? It means the Lord saves. It means the Lord saves. So you hear the Yah, you hear the first part of Yahweh in there, and then you get uh, Yasha, uh, He saves. saves. And so it's, what a cool thing to think about when you think about Joshua and the name that he has and the work he does in the Old Testament to conquer the promised land, right, to be the Lord's servant after Moses. And uh, the Lord saves his people, and he brings them finally into the promised land. And the angel directs Mary and Joseph to name their child the Lord saves. And, and I think that's what's so cool about uh, this uh, this reading today is we are reminded of Joshua. We're reminded of how the Lord acted mightily through his servant then. How will the Lord act now when Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh himself? And so it's, it's, pretty, it's, it's a pretty cool thing that we could focus on the name that way. So uh, I think the first thing to that question is Yeshua. It's the same thing as Jesus. It's the same thing as Joshua or Jesus. Um, it's also just sounds cool to say. And so maybe that's just part of it. Now, Yahweh is a bit of a different issue and a bit of a different topic. Uh, where does uh, Yahweh come up? Yahweh was the was the name given. Um, if you would uh, remember Moses in front of the burning bush and he's asking God, you know, how do I, how do I go and tell people uh, who this God is? Who is the one true God? What is your name? And God himself gives this name, and, and he says, um, you know, I am 
that I am, I am the one true God. I am. And uh, he says, then go and tell people that uh, Yahweh has sent you. Yeah, yeah. So Exodus 3, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am remembered throughout all generations. And so in here, we get very explicitly God telling Moses, uh, my name is uh, Yahweh. We also get a, a different uh, conjugation there, get eh, yeah, instead of Yahweh. And uh, so there's some you know, discussion about that. But whenever you come across in your English Bibles, when Lord is all caps, or sometimes God will be all caps, right? Lord will be spelled normally and then God is all caps, that means in the Hebrew, you get the consonants Y-H-W-H, and you get Yahweh. And so whenever you're reading your Bibles, you're more than welcome to uh, kind of read that as, as you go along, and it's helpful whenever it's the Lord, so you get two syllables, so that's kind of helpful, Yahweh and then the Lord. But why don't we use that name so much? Because I mentioned, that, you know, okay, we use it around here, but you don't always hear it in Christian context. Uh, for some reason, even the the Lord gave his name to Moses and to his people, it's kind of fallen out of use. What it seems is, is though, that uh, the connotation changed. Uh, people were given the name to call upon the Lord, call upon Yahweh, and then uh, it's it switched um, in time to uh, just more uh, people who are considered more holy, um, people who are considered uh, more pietistic. They were the ones that were allowed to to say the name, and then it, it switched even more and more to the point where nobody was saying God's name anymore, and, and, and it changed. Yeah, and this is, I, I haven't done all the kind of study on it, but yeah, it just seems over time that, you know, this is God's name, and it's such a special name, and, you know, who am I to say it, to who am I to say it, and eventually no one said the name of God, and it would just use um, Adon in Hebrew, which is Lord, and you get Adonai, which is my Lord. And so when you hear those words used in English, that's, that's what it's referring to. Um, and so our English Bibles still kind of render that. But I think it's one of those things that should be recovered and reclaimed in the church because God gave his name to his people. And uh, he is not hiding that from us. I, I think of like the Lord's Prayer. You know, Jesus doesn't just have us start off the prayer by saying, uh, the God of the universe. We actually get to say, our Father who art in heaven we actually get to call upon our father because we are his dear children. God gives us the name to call upon him. And even the name of Jesus bears Yahweh within it. And uh, it's, it's interesting to see how that has happened. I think one thing to be mindful of is as we uh, evangelize and reach out to people around us, if we're working with someone within the Jewish community, this is a really particular thing amongst uh, someone in the Jewish community that they would not use the name Yahweh because it's just that, that over reverence towards it. And so I think we should be mindful of that as we evangelize and out, you know, and outreach. Uh, but I don't think there's anything of concern for Christians to use that because God gave us his name. And um, that's why I'll, I'll use it in sermons and Bible studies and so on. All right, Vicar. So let's uh, 
aim towards uh, bringing this to a close, but I think we've got a little bit to go. Uh, one of the big matters of the day is why did we elevate the circumcision of Jesus in the name of Jesus to such a special day? Maybe not we. You know, why has the church done this? I mean, it's always January 1st because it's eight days after Christmas, and we remember this day. And I think it's a fair question. I'm wondering if people were thinking that question to themselves on, on that Sunday. And uh, what are some answers that come to mind? Like, why do we care about this day? Why is it, honestly, why do we make such a big deal of it? So one of the first things that comes to mind uh, immediately is, uh, you know, on the eighth day that Jesus is presented uh, as a child in the temple and he's following uh, the law. And uh, we get some insight about the, the childhood of Jesus. You know, we, we hear about this event. Um, there's one verse about this. And then we hear about uh, Jesus coming to the temple again when he's a little bit older. But uh, it's just uh, just a glimpse uh, of seeing uh, the childhood of Christ and what is happening and how, from the beginning, he is already uh, doing what the Father had sent him to do. Yeah, so you brought up the eighth day and immediately you have connections back to Abraham that he's, he's in keeping with the covenant. And so the eighth day was very important for... Um, uh, for the birth of a child, and especially for the birth of a male child, and Jesus is keeping up the law. Uh, but I think the other thing you're bringing up is the Gospels don't have a whole lot of stuff about Jesus' childhood, right? We have this. We have uh, the the account with Simeon and Anna, right, when he's presented. And you also have uh, you know, when Jesus, when he's 12 years old. Other than that, you jump right ahead to adult Jesus. And so I think part of it is just, well, we got to make do with what we have. <laughs> and this is And this is one of those moments. I think that's also part of the answer. Uh, another reason why uh, why elevate the circumcision in the name of Jesus is part of the uncomfortableness that we might feel with this. We, we, we kind of danced around that a little bit with our earlier circumcision question, uh, but our God is fully human, and he's fully man, and he bleeds. He's humiliated. He cries out as an infant. And here Mary comforts her son, but soon the sword will fully pierce her heart and she will not be able to comfort him from the cross. The Lord is joining himself to humanity. Yahweh has become flesh and he is going to be undergoing the humiliation of, of death. Ultimately for us, he will suffer and die for us and in our place. And... I think it's good even in the midst of the season of Christmas to have that uncomfortableness break in because we get so kind of caught up in the luster and wonder of Christmas that there's a reason why Christmas is happening. And the reason why Christmas is a joyous season is because God is here for us. Uh, maybe one more point that comes to mind, you know, why I elevate this day is uh, the locatedness. Where did this happen, Jesus' circumcision? It, it happened in the temple. In the temple. And, and so... Uh, the significance of that is um, we, we read in Ezekiel that the that, that God had left the temple and we we don't we don't see the Lord come back until Jesus is presented on this eighth day and um, you know it the temple was built uh, by Solomon uh, to uh, so that God would show that he is amongst his people and so Jesus coming back on the eighth day, and he is circumcised, and he has now become part of that humanity. He is part of the people now, but he's coming as, like you mentioned, in this humiliation. 
uh, of the flesh. He's bleeding. And, and it's so different uh, from how Yahweh was in the temple before, and now how has Yahweh come back to the temple? Yeah, this is the, the beauty of the incarnation. And one of the cool things to keep in mind as you read through scriptures is the locatedness of our God. Uh, we brought up Moses in the burning bush. You know, where is the Lord? Ah, there in the bush. Uh, Christmas Day, our Old Testament reading was after the tabernacle is completed, and Yahweh fills the tabernacle, and Moses is not able to enter. Right? And you get the, the pillow of fire, you get the smoke, and so on. Uh, you talk about Ezekiel, where the Lord leaves the temple, and he said he'll return. And now, in the temple, God is present once more, and present, fully human, fully divine, in the incarnate Son of God. Uh, the locatedness of God is so important for us as Christians, and especially when we think about things like the Lord's Supper. Where is Christ? There in the bread and wine, right? His body and blood for us. He is located. He is present. He is not distant and far away. God makes himself present fully for us. Uh, one last uh, thing, and you brought this up in your sermon, was the discussion of baptism. And there are some definite connections between circumcision and baptism. Paul makes this point, I think, in Colossians chapter 2. And even some in the early church would uh, discuss, hey, uh, when should we baptize our babies? You know, should it be on the eighth day? And I think the church father, Cyprian, was dealing with this. You know, a bishop was asking him, should we wait to the eighth day to baptize? And I think Cyprian saying, like, well, don't wait, just, just baptize your babies kind of thing. And there's, of course, certain connections there. And circumcision and baptism are not the same, um, but one does lead into the other. Uh, baptism is all grace for the child and makes that child part of God's family, washes that child of sin and gives that child faith. And I think what's cool with a moment like that, when you think of like a church father like Cyprian, uh, you have this discussion of when should we baptize the baby, the eighth day or right away? The question is not, uh, we should wait till the child's 12 and can make a statement of faith, right? No, it's it's do it right away. We, you know, that's that's one of the things uh, uh, that we see in baptism is that we, we are born dying to sin and, and that the child... Uh, is dying of that sin, and we want to bring them to the waters of baptism so they can be given that grace. And so it, it shows that, like how I mentioned in the sermon, is that it, we, we are baptized in God's name, the God's name that, that forgives and saves. And so uh, having that name given to that child, creating faith in that child is so important. And so we're not relying on, again, like the law of we do it on the eighth day or or, you know, we have to count on certain things or do these outward signs. No, it's God's grace for you now because he has made himself present now uh, for us. All right, Vicar, thanks for sitting down today and talking over uh, your sermon today. I know you're prepping for next Sunday, and so blessings on that sermon process. And uh, have a good day. Thank you so much. All right, and I also forgot my script. Uh, submit questions to podcast at org. Sermons on the website, yada, yada, yada. Other details, Deaconess will remember for me next time. Thanks. See you all. Thank you, everyone. Bye.